Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you this morning? Ah, pretty good. I played in a... I was up till 4 a.m. because I couldn't get to sleep. I, I was playing in uh, my wow, beer league hockey, although no one has a beer after the games anymore. It's not like the old days in the 80s. Right. <laughs> Uh, at least I don't. Um, had an exciting overtime game in my beer league. And I just, sometimes you just can't get to sleep after you've played hockey. It's just really hard. You're just so wound up about it all for some reason. Your body is, at least. So you pulled a McCurdy and you stayed up half the night writing a post. And then you couldn't get to sleep for another two hours after that. In there. <laughs> done that. <laughs> I don't get that excited after writing posts it doesn't work me up like well, actually playing hockey. oh but i've just been in that <laughs> space where oh you're finally done and you still can't get to sleep yeah that was my condition bruce is that what you have you you finish the post well, sometimes at like 1 2 a.m and then you still can't mm-hmm. get to sleep yeah yeah i'm a pretty good sleeper especially, usually but especially if i'm writing game grades after a west coast game you know and it's been a good exciting game sometimes the the you know, blood keeps pumping for a while but it's not like it, playing it, a game like you did if they change daylight savings time, those West Coast games, and if they don't change it, it's like you have to. It's almost like watching the movie Tenet, putting together all the permutations of time forward and time back, with the various daylight savings time regimes that might may, may oh. come come in. But uh, I, I'm in. Uh, yeah, I just want to keep what we have, Bruce. That's where I've ended up. Like I, I, it's it's not that broken. Kind of works. Anyway. Um, the Oilers, Bruce, some big news. Well, I was up late. Mm-hmm. There was some big wow. news that broke last night. Actually, Kurt, it's Bob Stoffer has been rumoring this f- for some time now. This isn't really anything new. And, and Kurt dug into it in his post Sunday morning in his excellent Nine Things uh, post, which is a must-read on Sundays for people. Um, and then Frank Saravalli <laughs> uh, also dug into it. And this is, this is the notion that... Um, Surprise, surprise, Adam Larson isn't like a 90% certainty to sign in Edmonton, that he may explore the market. And uh, that as a, to, if they lose Larson, the owners may double back and Tyson Berry may want to sign here and may sign here. So that's the gist of the news. Um, I'll just read, I'll just start out by by reading um, some of the, what um, what Kurt wrote. I'll start with what Kurt wrote. And here we go. Quote, I do get mixed signals on the status of the Larson negotiation. One source that would have an opportunity to speak with both sides in that negotiation thinks Larson may in fact hit the UFA market, if for no other reason than to see which way the wind is blowing. When Philadelphia acquired Ryan Ellis on Saturday, I believe that subtracted Larson's most likely suitor from the equation. But there could be others, including Seattle. Edmonton is also still talking with Tyson Berry. I wonder if in the event that Larson walks, does Berry sign here instead and fill that hole at two right D? The price tag may not be that much different. And here's from Frank Saravalli uh, from the Daily Faceoff podcast. And, and Frank said uh, Sunday evening, quote, My understanding is that the Oilers and Adam Larson are rather unlikely at this point to get something done and that he'll be heading to market. Now, I think that the development which is really interesting is that Tyson Berry has a real chance to stay in Edmonton. 
that's been the sort of shift that's occurred over the last four or five days. Now, to, this morning, um, TSN's Ryan Rashog, who, who's a very credible source, um, you know, as, as are Kurt and, and Frank, um, followed up all, both of those takes. And he, he, he gave what I think is the definitive take at this moment in terms of where the Larson negotiations are. And I'll read that now. Quote, on Adam Larson, the simple fact is the player hasn't decided what he wants to do yet, and it could go either way. He is considering a few offers they feel are fair from the Oilers on different lengths, but he is taking his time, waiting to make a good decision for his future. Taking this much time leads to the perception that he's likely leaving, but I'm told that at this point, the Oilers are still a very strong option for him. My sense is the team is willing to be patient to a point while he makes this decision. Larson is methodical and has been working on his own timeline through this process, not wanting to rush an important decision. The Oilers have offers there for him. He's in the process of deciding if he wants to stay or go. See what's out there. Could still go either way. So, Bruce, I I think um, there was a little bit of misreading of Saravalli's quote last night. Mm -hmm. There was quite a bit of panic. Uh, discomfort at the very least about the thought of Larson leaving and and Saravalli saying um, Adam Larson Oilers and Adam Larson are rather unlikely at this point to get something done and that he'll be heading to market people let out the people took too much from the they forgot the at this point He's not saying Larson's and the Oilers are unlikely to get something done. He's saying they're unlikely to get something done at this point. Right. And that doesn't mean when Larson goes to market that he won't quickly resign here or mm-hmm. um, as Rashog makes clear. So what's your take on the whole, all of these different things? Oh, well, in one sense, uh, Larson is going to market right now in that. Uh, uh, he's going to Seattle. Seattle's got 72-hour window to negotiate with all free agents, restricted or unrestricted, and they could sign one uh, in lieu of picking a player or of, off a team, uh, off a team's uh, list. They they could sign a free agent and, and essentially pick that guy off the list. And Adam Larson is, you know, he's a target the same way Tyson Berry is a target, or any of the Oilers' uh, restricted free agents. Uh, are a target unless they're protected. Seattle can just flat out sign them during the next uh, 72 hours. Um, so he's going to be able to dip his toe in the in the water of the market with before he even goes to the full market. But from the sounds of it, it, it may be that he'll see what Seattle has to say, and he may well wait until the 28th and see what's out there in the league. And then, uh, I mean, the thing about when he's Going to market, it doesn't mean he's gone from Edmonton because Edmonton is very much part of the market. And they've had, you know, lots of time to talk to Larson, lots of time to make offers. And it may be a situation where his agent's saying, well, let's go out to market and see what the offers are. And if we get something, uh, something sweeter, let's first circle back to the Oilers and say up your offer to, to come close to matching this offer and we'll stay, you know, just to, just to, to uh, get a barometer of what his market value is. So... That's Maybe they heard my 5.5 million per year oh, valuation dude. of Larson. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bruce, could you just check, make sure 
check your mic and see that your um, Yeti yeah. microphone, your whatever microphone you're using, not um, is because you're sounding a little quiet to me, and it just might be at my end, probably is, but I just want to make sure that. How's this? Yeah, it's good. Just just go. Is it? Does it say that it's I just, using your? I just, Blue Snowball? I just changed from default to uh, to Yeti. To Blue Snowball, so, or uh, you're I'm using, using Yeti. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Hopefully okay. it works. It's right under. It's right here. Yeah. So. All right. Um. Yeah. I. So. I. In some ways, it would be kind of. Crazy. You come this far. You've come this far. He hasn't signed yet. Why do? You, why wouldn't you wait a few more days at least and see, see if something blows you away? Like if you could get more money. Uh, um. Why wouldn't you do that? Seems to me like perfectly reasonable at this point to you know test the market and like you say circle back if you get a good offer even if even if edmonton let's say you're, you're almost convinced you want to stay here it's a way to get more money out of edmonton that's negotiation I, I would not blame anyone for doing that i think it would be irresponsible of the agent to tell larson other than to do that you know Whatever Adam Larson wants, the the agent's job is to try to maximize the money he can get for Adam Larson and for himself, the agent. And they should do that. And it, they, that's not alarming. To me, the alarming thing is the thought that they will they would lose Adam Larson. I I do find that alarming. Like, and um, the the thought of a Tyson Berry, Evan Bouchard, Ethan Bear defense is interesting. I will say I will give it that. It's provocative. But how many times have we heard, I think it's, you know, Bob Stoffer and Oders now say the Oders want to get bigger on defense. Mm -hmm. And if getting bigger on defense is essentially replacing Adam Larson with Duncan Keith. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Keith isn't bigger than Adam Larson. He's not a particularly huge player, Duncan Keith. And bumping up Ethan Bear to be your shutdown defenseman over Adam Larson. That's a terrible, that's not a good idea terrible idea possibly Bruce I just I you know I, I valued Adam Larson at 5.5 million a year on a three-year deal I should say um because I think he's been the owner's best defenseman the last two years at even strength uh he had a couple bad iffy years not bad years iffy years when he had both uh, his father passed away and oh, uh was a huge shock because his father was a young man and mm -hmm. he he also had back problems so he, just when the orders were really struggling with Sekera getting hurt, Clefbaum getting banged up in the, both I think happened in the, to some extent, Sekera definitely got hurt in the 2017 Anaheim series and Clefbaum may have aggravated his injury. That's, that's season as that playoff series as well. Adam Larson also was banged up in the two years following. And it's a huge reason those three injuries, injury issues that the Oilers took a step back as a team those two seasons, I think. Larson's back got better. In the last two years, he has been playing strong defensive hockey. Some of the strongest defensive hockey I've seen from an Oilers defenseman, you know, since 2006, since Jason Smith and Pronger and Steos were players like that were such fine defensive defensemen at that time. And I've said this many times on this podcast. I'll say it one more time here. If they lose Adam Larson, Bruce, they will be seeking, searching for a player just like him for years, for years. And there's, you know, there's, there's 
no one immediately, at least in the farm system, who can replace him, I don't think. Dmitry Samarukov played right side defense. He's a lefty who played right side defense for Moscow, Siska Moscow. And in him, I see a player who in a couple years might be an effective shutdown D-man in the NHL. He plays that kind of game. He played it at least in for, for Seska. Just a very steady, um, big, physical, fast player. But he's a few years away, I think, from that. He, he would be perfect to take Adam Larson's job, maybe, in a few years in that role. But I don't see him doing that now. Do you think they could replace him? I mean, there are, like, you know, Calgary got Tanev. Tanev's a good shutdown D-man. And mm-hmm. there's no, some other good, ones out good there. Good comparable. Tanev's yeah. pretty good comparable. Uh, well, I got Wild Bill Lagerson, uh, who's a Swedish, big, tough, get in the way, highly competitive, grind him out, take no prisoner style of defenseman in the manner of Adam Larson. Uh, but you knew that was coming. But I do not see Lagerson as having uh, the upside. Of Larson, like to me, he's a very marginal third-pairing defenseman at this point in time, whereas Larson is a proven top four, and uh, uh, you know, in the shutdown role. I mean, you talk about um, the right side. Well, last year the Oilers ran the the four defenders on the right side: Tyson Berry, five eleven, one ninety seven; Ethan Bear, five eleven, one ninety seven; Ethan or Evan Bouchard, six three. 194 and Adam Larson 63208 like he's by far the the biggest and by far the most physical style of any of those guys in fact none of the other guys is I would say remotely physical and and Not Larson Yeah Larson is is absolutely a uh, a take no prisoners style just a second here I'll look it up uh um just getting just getting hits from last year from the from the righties, and this is not going to be close. 166 for Larson, 31 for Bear, 26 for Barry, 11 for Bouchard. And I know hits isn't everybody's cup of tea, but it does tell you a lot about the player's style of play, I think. And Larson's physicality, like there's no nothing even close on the right-hand side, not even close. And, you know, they've got... Uh, course darnell nurse who plays a rugged style on the, on the left side and you know darnell came here with a reputation of being a shutdown defenseman i think in part because of the uh, uh world junior in 2015 in which he wasn't on the ice for a single goal against an entire tournament and and he was used in the shutdown role and he succeeded at it uh, but he is to my eye a high event defenseman who is uh, i wouldn't qualify him as shutdown. He certainly, he's a cycle buster. He can be a cycle buster, but uh, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call him a shutdown. Uh, Oilers did use him in that role last year down the stretch of games, but when they paired him with Adam Larson, the two of them are fine. And how the Oilers would, you know, who do you put out there with a one goal lead and three minutes to go in the third period or one minute to go in the third period? Who do you put out there? Tyson Berry? Both, both, uh, yeah, no, you know, when they were protecting that lead with it, that they gave up eventually against Winnipeg at what was it, four to one in the third period? And they gave up the lead. Larson was the only defenseman who went out there and took command defensively, as far as I could see. 
And there was one shift where he just made three good plays in a row. I'm thinking, okay, maybe the Oilers got this. Maybe they're going to get this. He gets off the ice and more bad things happen. I mean, some people some people have it in their heads that Ethan Bear is a solid defensive defenseman in, in a top four role. I don't see it, Bruce. I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. He, I, he's, he hangs on. He hangs in there is what I see. Right. Right. But he's not. If you think he's Adam Larson, like, I get, you know, people, it's, it's based on on ice stats, on shot mm-hmm. metric stats. And I don't, based on our numbers, mm-hmm. both Nurse and and Ethan Bear have their struggles against top four competition. We've seen it consistently with Darnell Nurse for, his offensive play has gotten a lot better, um, trended up dramatically in the last five years. Yep. His defensive play, though, he's still got a ways to go. He still gets beat off the rush in corners, making decisions. Ethan Bear, same thing. Oscar Kleffbaum, same thing. The one guy, you know, there's been a couple guys you can count on defensively to shut down top attacking wingers. Adam Larson, Andre Sekera before he got hurt, before he got hurt, and Chris Russell. Not so little less as Chris, you know, going, trending down with Chris Russell in terms of shutting them down. And then in Chris Russell's offense is just weak. Adam Larson's puck moving is okay. It's not great. It's okay, but it's good enough um, that he gets, he can play in a top four role. He can move the puck. And yeah, who's going to, who are you going to put out there against Nikolai Ehlers? Who are you going to put out there against Kachuk? If you don't have Adam Larson, you're going to put Ethan Barrett, Tyson Barry, like the, I really like some of the things that both Ethan Bear and Tyson Berry bring to their games. Like mm-hmm. they can really move the puck and especially Tyson Berry really passes the puck well. But uh, you need players who can defend. You just, you got to have them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we'll see what happens, Bruce. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe hopefully he comes back. Now that we, we were just, you know, the other day there was Spectre's tweet, right? Where, um, it sounded like he had a very specific number, 3.9 million over four years for Adam Larson. And it sounded to me like just reading that tweet, like, you know, reading between the lines that like maybe there was a deal to be had. And maybe, so maybe the the one other thing this could be is a massive deception on the part of the Oilers that, that they have a deal, a side deal with Adam Larson, a secret deal. And they're worried about some kind of the NHL getting mad at them for having this. And so they're just putting out all this smoke and mirrors and trying to fool people into thinking there is no deal. What do you think at this point about that notion? Well, impossible to see through the smoke and mirrors to know really what's going on. But uh, Seattle has the opportunity to talk to Larson. And uh, so they, they'll have a better chance to get their finger on the pulse of what's really going on. But uh they got lots of irons in the fire. I'm sure they're not going to see Adam Larson as being the make-or-break aspect of their team, but they, you know they might certainly want to talk to his camp and see because his type of player, as you say, has value. And Seattle, I mean, from where I'm sitting, just right now they have no players and no cap hit, and I'm already projecting them as a favorite to make the playoffs in the uh, in the week. Pacific Division of the NHL, where you have uh, Vegas and Edmonton, and then a whole lot of meh. And it's unfortunate we're losing Arizona from our division and gaining Seattle. And I think our division got tougher from losing this long-term, uh, you know, long-time team that is always just sort of, you know, down down in the lower echelon of the standings. And I don't anticipate Seattle being there. I think they'll be 
so they're trying to build as complete a team as they can and they you know they have to they have to sound out the waters i mean in a perfect world to me they sign tyson berry in the next three days and solve their uh, their issues with edmonton and then edmonton shores up by by uh, getting adam larson and doesn't lose anybody else to seattle because uh, you know barry's unrestricted but We'll see. It does sure seem to be shifting sands, and whether it's just, uh, as you say, smoke and mirrors, or whether there's uh, there's any meat on that bone, we'll find out in due course. We we can't know. You're right. There's yeah. just no. There's there's no way of knowing. <laughs> Is the truth? Is the truth? Yeah, I'd, Arizona. Yeah, they're trending down as a team even now like they're not a good team and they're not they don't look like they're going to be getting any like they just seem to be coming apart at the seams honestly like mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah well they've they've made a lot of mistakes in Arizona and and they've had uh you know they lost a couple of high draft picks they got in trouble with the league uh who was it they traded for somebody's ginormous cap hit the other day just to recoup some draft picks back it was uh oh Andrew Ladd. Oh, yeah. Andrew they Ladd. traded for Andrew Ladd. Awesome. Okay. So, yeah, they're using that uh, nice, those nice checks they get from the NHL's uh, yeah, equalization. I have questions about that. Yeah, they, they do NHL's better than Quebec. Paying for the team, then they, and then they take big contracts on from other teams that are up against the cap limit. And who pays for that? All the teams. All the teams, I can man. Yeah, I have questions. <laughs> hey, I will you know have questions for... until they trade for James Neal, and then I'll be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you uh, do you know like in this in this next little window, can the Oilers also sign Larson, or do, do does Seattle have exclusive negotiation yeah, rights there is on a, every free agent at this point? There's the a signing moratorium days. until Seattle's team is announced on Wednesday night. I think is when it comes off. Is Edmonton and, allowed to talk to Larson? Nope. Do you know? Signing moratorium. It's a, it's that Seattle has exclusive negotiating rights for the next three days. And then Wednesday morning, they submit their list to the league. And Wednesday evening, it gets announced to the public. And I don't imagine that window would reopen between Wednesday morning and evening. Like, I can't imagine the league being too happy with Edmonton signs Adam Larson on Wednesday afternoon, 10 minutes before their big announcement. You know, they're going to have that big reveal. And then it's back to business more or less as usual. And after that, if if uh, Seattle doesn't sign Larson, Edmonton will have between Wednesday night and all the way through to the opening of full free agency on July 28th, which is like a week, full week where they, they, the Oilers again would have exclusive negotiating rights. So that's the window to try and sign Larson again. So I will say as Adam Larson's number one stan in Edmonton, I think that's the new word, uh, that I'm glad that, you know, there was so much controversy over that trade, justifiably so. We, I loved Taylor Hall as a player for the Edmonton Oilers. I really did. He was such a spectacular attacking hockey player. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. It was, you know, that, it was hard to see him go. I, I do like, though, that five years later, there is this outpouring of admiration for Adam Larson and people realizing his value and it's across the board Bruce I, I see I don't see a lot of people saying no 
note to Adam Larson. I see just across the board admiration for the player. And it's this is five years after that trade. It's nice to see that. What do you think mm-hmm. if he was to leave, Bruce? Like, I, I, you know, I've spoken quite strongly about my concerns about it. Like, do you, do you, are yours as large as mine or, or how would you, how would you frame it yourself? Well, I'm a Adam Larson stan as well. In fact, the stands are full of Adam Larson stands these days. So uh, I don't see them as having, you know, I mean, Chris Russell, uh, has some things in common with him, but he's he's older, he's way smaller, he's he you know he's a competitive little so and so, but he's not the big greasy stand him up, run him into the corner boards with you know with malice aforethought the way uh, the way Larson is, and uh, the old goalie in me absolutely loves the greasy stay at home defenseman, so I'm a fan like to me Larson I've called him the Swedish Gator for years. And that's a huge compliment for me because I was a huge Jason Smith fan as well. And for many of the same reasons, they <laughs> play a similar uh, greasy style of rugged defending. Uh, uh, <coughs> I, I, I don't know that there's a, you know, they'd have to go elsewhere and find a, find a guy. And, you know, maybe there's a Radko Gudis or something out there on the market, but I'm not sure that it would be a guy as good as uh, Adam Larson. And you know, at near his peak. On the other hand, four years from now, what's you know, you're paying the guy a four-year contract. What does a 39, a 33-year-old Adam Larson look like compared to the one that we're seeing right now? So that's you know, that's the risk. So that is an excellent point, Bruce. And and. uh you know, one that I would make, one one that I'll make also. Like, as I said, Adam Larson did have two pretty mediocre years in Edmonton. And, you know, they, they were accompanied by injury problems. And he plays a rugged game. He mm-hmm. uh, has had injury, bad back. You know, those things are notoriously finicky. So, yeah, they could sign him to a three-year deal or four-year deal and and get half a good season out of him and he can get banged up. You know, this is... He is just 28, like he's 28. He'll be 29 next season. So we're looking at 29, 30, 31, 32 on a four-year deal. By 32, 31, 32, Jason Smith had had dropped quite a bit, I I believe. So there is a risk, a real risk in going four years with Adam Larson. That fourth year is a real iffy proposition, I'm going to suggest. The first two years are pretty good bets. Uh, you know, next year, he's had two good, really good years in a row. Mm-hmm. Nothing. It's like Mike Smith. I think Mike Smith is, should also be seen as, as old as he is, is a good bet for next year at this point. I mean, he he showed he can get it done at age whatever the hell he is, 73. Mm-hmm. Impressive. Why not as a 74-year-old? So I, I'm saying Adam Larson, next year, good bet. Year after that, probably a, like a pretty good bet. The year after that, it gets iffy. It's more like a coin flip. And then the the last year, that's really iffy. But I, because the window for the Oilers really is now, mm-hmm. and he is such a key player on the team. Like I, I, I think he was the number one signing priority ahead of Ryan Nugent Hopkins personally, on the Edmonton Oilers this off season. That's how I I would rank him, in terms of like the internal signings that they have to make. So. That'll be a big blow in my eyes if if he leaves. Yeah, well, he's certainly considered part of the leadership group 
on the Oilers team, right? I mean, really, there was there was uh, five guys uh, that were sort of the core leadership group and fairly contemporary players with Larson actually uh, being, uh, well, Larson and Nugent Hopkins, I guess, being the seniors. And, of course, uh, the Troika of McDavid, Dreisaitl, and, and Nurse. And so I know McDavid spoke out very forcefully, I thought, in favor of the orders keeping that leadership group together going forward. And they, they did look after the Nugent Hopkins situation. Uh, the Larson thing, the way things turned out, I mean, they kind of had to string him out. This, I mean, we've been talking about it for a year and a half, David, how if the orders could somehow sign Nugent Hopkins and Larson in between the uh, Seattle expansion draft and full free agency would be the best way to maximize the, yes, the protected yes. list. Here we are. And they've done and here we are and they've done it with one of the two guys. Signed the one, forced their own hand at having to go seven three one and because of that protecting you know, signing and protecting Larson. Uh, it was still possible, but once the Keith deal was done, it was no longer really possible. Yeah, and we don't know, uh, maybe at that point, we don't know what we don't know is if the owners knew at that point that Larson was going to, most likely going to um, test the free agent market um, when they signed Keith. We don't, we can't say for sure, although things are often kind of fluid, aren't they? Like, yeah. They had to have, they had to have a pretty good idea a week ago. Probably, yeah. The way things were yeah. going. You'd hope, one would hope. Okay, uh, Bruce, let's talk about um, a couple other things. Who do you think mm-hmm. Seattle is going to take from the orders which oh just wait i wanted you to make an adam larson prediction my prediction is bruce larson will um larson will sign with the orders before free agency for a for a higher much higher number that's been talked about mm-hmm. until now so i'm saying it'll be 4.5 million plus somewhere right. between 4.5 million per year and 5 million per year that's my prediction mm-hmm. what's yours for how many years for um for four years okay yeah, we're not too far apart. I, I think that 3.9 that uh, was floated out there by Spectre, wasn't it? Um, it's, it sounded a little bit optimistic, and I'm thinking there's no way that he gets a, a cut from his old rate of 4.17 million. Yeah. That he's at least four and a quarter, and more likely 4.5, maybe three years, but uh, at least three years, eight-figure deal. And I do think the Oilers, uh, uh, I do think the Oilers lock them up and it may even go say 4.8 something like that i don't think it'll be 5 million but i just want to see what tanev got on cap did tanev got 4.5 i think it was yeah but what was the term i'm just going to check here thinking four but i'm not four years at 4.5 i I, how can tanev get more than larson wasn't tanev older too when he signed that deal so it was a free agent deal. Like he, it was he a did true go to free market. Agent, but but yeah, but he went to market and he took the he took the higher offer. And uh, I'm not sure for age. I don't think they're that far apart, frankly. But uh, uh, he's a very fine player, Chris Tanev. Got Tanev a belly is, full. Tanev is 31 right now. 31. Okay. So he was a year or two older than Larson. Right. Okay. Um, your prediction for expansion: Who will Seattle take, Bruce? Yeah, well, I got a, I got a, I got a few choices. Um, uh, they got four forwards to choose among, in my view, and they're all restricted free agents. 
None of them has a contract at this moment in time. Jujar Kara, Dominic Cahoon, Tyler Benson, Cooper Marodi, uh, that are all uh, at various stages of development. Uh, I'd be looking long and hard at Jujar Kara if I were them. Uh, you know, he's got uh, uh, lots of NHL experience, still, you know, 26 years old, just, you know, really in the heart of his career. Uh, he's got... Um, uh, you know, he's got some things that you want to have somewhere on your team. Let's put it that way. He's got size. He's got toughness. He's got versatility of able to play center or wing. He's got uh, penalty killing chops. Uh, and, you know, last year he had uh, uh, a very nice run. He's had sort of these little little uh, <clears throat> little runs in past seasons where you go, holy moly, that guy is playing really well. And inevitably it would last two or three weeks or a month, and then that would be sort of the high point of his higher season. And last year, he had a much longer run of that after an original dreadful start that saw him get waived early in the season. Uh, but when he came back in the lineup, right up until the time he got punched out by uh, Brett Ritchie in Calgary, he played really well. And then down the stretch of the season, you know, he was he still had some good games. He was certainly bringing it. Uh, it wasn't like he got shy or anything. He was still, he was really physical last year. He was laying on the body hard and uh, uh, on a, on an every night basis. And uh, uh, he was a real driving force in, the, you know, in the, uh, in that grinding line the orders had and, now, a, a critic might say, geez, the orders need to change out the bottom six. They, you know, the bottom six got pounded last year to the tune of 24 goals, 45 goals against at even strength by uh, by one what I think legitimate count. And so if they were to lose a player from the bottom six, that's a place where they could upgrade. Uh, that being said, when Ken Holland is protecting two guys from the bottom six in Archibald and Cassian and making the signing of Devon Shore is first priority in the off season. You wonder how much of the bottom six they want to change out. So maybe they're ready to move on from Kara. Uh, so he's kind of my favorite for who they're going to pick. And I think Dominic Cahoon, they got to look hard at him as well. Uh, decent scorer, and he's got a lower platform. Uh, still, you know, really looking to establish himself, but he's per 82 games in his career, 15 goals, 22 assists. You know, that's pretty pretty decent production for a guy that's never been a power player. You know, he's always done all of his damage at even strength. So I think he's uh, he's in the mix. And uh, lastly, uh, up front, which I think they'll choose a forward, uh, Tyler Benson, who's only got seven NHL games. Of course, he's younger and he's had two very strong seasons in the AHL and seems to be, dare I say, overripe and ready for a shot at the NHL, and maybe Seattle Kraken is where he'll get it. Nice summary, Bruce. Who would you who would you pick if you were Seattle? Uh, I mean, you have to balance my, all the my, other players they might take, right? You're, you're right. They're constructing a roster, but who, who right. do you think is yes. the best bet? That's the big thing. And and of that list, like, I think there's lots of wingers out there and, and so on. I think Caro is the, is the guy that's got the best mix of things that, that would be, a you know, kind of a... Uh, uh, mortar between the brick style player for uh, for Seattle. That I, th- but that, you know, that's a wild ass guess to be honest. 
And as you say, how they build the whole team, like they're not looking to say, we want the very best player off each of these 30 teams. They're saying, we want to build our own team. We want this type of player, that type. We need this kind of a mix in our group. And of course, they'll be missing the very high end superstars, you know, center, for instance. I mean, who are they going to get? Jack Eichel? I don't think so. So, there, you know, there's going to be weaknesses built into the team, but they're going to want to, they're going to, want to, to balance it as much as they possibly can. At the last expansion draft, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, 2016? 2017. The, the Vegas Golden Knights were balancing whether they're going to take Griffin, Reinhardt, or Jujar Kara. Kara. It's funny, he's, he's, he's been on the there, bubble. And he's still on the bubble. <laughs> Jeez, I wish he hadn't gotten hurt. He, was, he really had looked like he had turned the corner as a player. Finally, finally. And he gets hurt, and it's there's big question marks about him again. And it's it's a that's hawk. It's such a tough game. It is a tough game. The NHL grind, and this happens to so many players. So um, yeah, if Jujar Kara hadn't gotten hurt, the Oilers probably would have been protecting that guy because he was getting the job done as a bottom line center, and it was great to see. Um, that really clouds things though, like uh, with him. Um, Maybe that's just a little recency bias creeping in and we should look at. But if you look at the totality of Jujar's career, it's also up and down, up and down, up and down. So I don't think he's the best bet. Um, I, Cahoon I, I, and Benson are very similar players. They're very, they're not fast skaters, but they're both sound enough defensively. I know Cahoon had a few moments in the playoffs where he looked bad and mm-hmm. in the regular season. But I, I see them as both fairly defensively responsible players. Benson, a little bit more physical, better on the boards. Cahoon and Benson, they're they're both marked by being uh, excellent passers. That's their NHL quality skill, is their vision and passing with the puck. Both can really move the puck. Neither of them is a very good shooter by NHL standards. Cahoon has had success at the NHL level, obviously, some success especially uh, two years where his points per 60 at even strength is quite high. Benson has not yet had that. Benson's two or three years younger, though. So in theory, might have a higher ceiling than 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 Cahoon, although Benson's ceiling may be Cahoon. Um, but if, if he got as high as Cahoon in those really good years, Cahoon had a, had a weird year. He didn't put up a lot of points at Edmonton. And he, his, his even strength play was kind of okay-ish, not mm-hmm. great. I'd be okay if the Oilers brought Cahoon back as a third-line winger. I don't think he's a top-six option. Um, I'm also okay with Benson as as kind of a third-line winger, a top-six option, Benson being younger. I, I think I would go with... I don't think there's really any really great picks for Seattle off Edmonton. I'll just say that, Bruce. Like These are all kind of... As much as I hope Tyler Benson turns into a great player, these are all kinds of iffy... NHL players is the truth that you could you could get in free agency replaced in free agency without a whole lot of trouble so there's not a lot of pain right now for the orders I I for sentimental reasons I I like Tyler Benson he's from Edmonton and I hope he does well so if I was if I was the Kraken I would bet on the younger player uh in Benson and uh and take him William Loggison is it would if they need a physical third pairing D man you know and again his ceiling if he, if he really developed it would be like Matt Green um, third pairing physical the D man who can play four or five years for your team and and really 
you know, help out in that, you know, in that role, that rugged role. Um, I'd, I'd be, he'd probably be my second pick actually. I think Cahoon is, you could easily get him as a free agent or that kind of player as a free agent. I'd, I'm not sure about that. So I would go with Benson or Lagerson if I were, if I was them. Yeah. Well, Lagerson, I mean, Matt Green, I mean, he played for the Oilers and played fairly regularly in the, in, in the third pairing in the playoffs in 06, when he was 22, just turning 23 years old, like way yeah. ahead of, of, well, of Lagerson on the Fair curve. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. And, and I mean, to me, it's a bit of an indictment of Edmonton that four years after the Vegas expansion in which the Oilers didn't even have to protect Connor McDavid or Darnell Nurse, because they were both just two-year pros. And, uh, you know, they had, uh, and we were saying, well, it's a good thing it's this year, not next year, because they'd have a lot more headaches on their expansion year. Well, now it's not next year. It's four years later. And... We're looking at their expansion list and we're seeing, well, there's five forwards and three defensemen that they kind of have to protect and the rest are, you know, I mean, the goalies are, their depth of goalies is weak enough that they have, you know, a, uh, a guy with one NHL game played because, and they're protecting him. I mean, it's the right choice to protect him, but it's just because they have at the NHL level, uh, under contract at least, uh, fairly uh, underwhelming set of goalies. I mean, there's no way. I don't think that um, that Seattle's taken Alex Stalock. It's certainly not Mikko Koskinen. So, uh, you know, they've got uh, uh, the Oilers. That the Oilers have room on their protected list for Josh Archibald and Zach Cassian, uh, where they are at this point in time, is to me said an indictment of the of uh, a less than stellar job of putting a contending team together right here's uh let's just go through the orders draft picks just really quickly from 2008 mm-hmm. until the until like 2015 so, so to kind of explain why that is just one more time 2008 after and i'm not going to mention their first overall pick like their first round pick, first round pick. just the mm-hmm. next two players drafted mm-hmm. 2008 johan motin and philip cornett fourth and fifth round. They didn't have a second and a third round pick. 2009, Anton Lander, second round. Troy Hesketh, third round. 2010, Tyler Pitlick, second round. Martin Marinson, second round. Curtis Hamilton, second round. Uh, 2011, David Musil, second round. Sammy Perhonen, third round. 2012, Mitch Moraz, second round. Jujar Kara, third round. 2013, Marco Roy, second round, Bowden, Yakimov, and Anton Slapashev, third round. 2014, they had two fourth round picks for their next picks, Lagesson and, and Zach Nagelvoort. 2015, in the fourth round, Caleb Jones, in the fifth round, Ethan Barron, in the sixth round, John Marino, who they let slip through their fingers. 2016, Tyler Benson, second round, third round, Marcus Niemelainen, Matthew Cairns, and Philip Berglund. So it's it's t- terrible drafting yep. like that that is has put the Oilers in this really tough position Ter- terrible drafting Bruce mm-hmm. no, there's no other way to put it I don't think is that am I going no. too far there no you're not I mean you look at the list of the guys the Oilers protected here and they protected five first round picks 
in the forms of uh, a nurse Dreisaitl, McDavid, Pugliarvi, Yamamoto. And that's really, you know, the core sort of most obvious protected players on the entire list. Uh, they got two guys that they picked in the subsequent uh, days, and, uh, you know, the Saturday of the draft in Ethan Bear and Stuart Skinner, the goalie with the one game played. And they've got a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, that they picked up from other teams with Duncan Keith now being a sort of the showpiece, but also Cassie and Archibald that they kind of were able to, to to pick up that were, you know, just middle tier players to uh, to be kind, frankly. And uh, the overall, like the, the club's failure to, to draft, like just sort of anybody rank and file uh players and the anything outside of the top 22 of the draft for years and years like they, they've uh, whatever good the orders have been since really the whole decade of darkness has been predicated on their first round picks with most of them being high first round picks because the team was terrible the year before so they're you know right at the top of the draft table I mean, all those guys that I named before, I mean, uh, uh, Nurse McDavid, Dreisaitl, uh, uh, Pugliarby, they all went in the top seven of the draft. And you look down those drafts, and there's not much that's followed them. And now the more recent uh, developments have been, you know, more 2008, 2014 style, where they don't have even a second or third rounder because they wind up trading them away for... for uh, depth players and, and rentals. And now that seems to be the new the new style. That, uh, second rounder's gone, third rounder's gone, fourth, you know. <laughs> In the Stu McGregor era, I just read off, that was the Stu McGregor era, uh, except for the better drafting in 2015 with Jones and Bear and Marino. Uh, and then 2016 was also the Bob Green era. Um, Keith, Keith Gretzky. The the players who played the most games taken outside the first round for the Oilers are Tob- Tobias Reeder, 478. They Eric traded Gustafson, before he two, played a game in Edmonton. Eric Gustafson, 250. And Jujar Kara, 258. So two of the, like the two guys that did make it, Gustafson and, and Reeder, to some extent, didn't even make it here in Edmonton. Like it was, so it's not just Stu McGregor. It was the whole no. development system, the signing <clears> system. They just made terrible decisions during the Tambellini and to some extent McTavish era. Like, I mean, McTavish did draft drive, settle and nurse. Yep. And um, you could say those picks were obvious picks, but they weren't. You can always mm-hmm. take somebody else. Yep. So I, I give Craig McTavish credit for those two picks. But Absolutely. They, the later round drafting didn't get any better um, mm-hmm. in the McTavish uh Era right. Stu McGregor was still in charge then, and so uh, Bruce, it's that's and why when, we're in the spot. Yeah, when you go out and trade a pick for the early negotiation rights for Nikita Nikitin, and then you you, you <laughs> sign him to a to a deal with a four point five million dollar cap hit that makes him the highest paid defenseman on your team. And then you're lowballing Jeff Petrie, who's come up through your own system and developed, and you wind up losing him because he's about to become an unrestricted free agent. Uh, there's, you know, that's that's a very much a black mark on, on the McTavish 
era. Yeah, and really I mean, is. there's some of both. I mean, his, his big thing was uh, uh, was um, those two draft picks, and you know, they're two you know two very core members of the Oilers to this day. So that's uh, that's uh, the positives, but uh, there are some uh, less than uh, stellar accomplishments on that list as well. Okay, there's a rumor, Bruce, um, that Zach Cassian may be traded. This has been floating around for a while as well. That you know that Bob Stoffer of the, of the orders is saying Zach Cassian has value. Some teams may be interested in trading him. We've heard teams like uh, all the teams that play Washington and Tom Wilson on a regular basis basis are often mentioned. So there's um, uh, the Rangers. Uh, there's Pittsburgh with Brian Burke. So who who knows um, about that? You know. If they lose both, if they were to lose both Larson and Kara, you know, who do they have that hits? Not that Zach, you know, Zach Cassian does hit. Like he, he does. He still hits. He still hits. So the thought of losing Cassian, if they were to lose Larson and Kara, like, I don't know about that. But the thought that he has some value doesn't surprise me. I could see teams that are really desperate for physical play wanting mm-hmm. a player. Who, who on the face of it looks like he can play a bit and and is still a big physical force. What do you make of these rumors and and would you move Cassian for a pick? Like let's say a third round pick or a second round pick. Let's say it. Yeah, let's say it's a third round pick for Zach Cassian. Would you do that, Bruce? No retention. No retention. Just straight up move him yeah. on, move on from Cassian. Get recover a pick. Uh, I would. I would. I, I mean it's it's. Uh, uh, he's been around here long, long enough time that we know what kind of uh, what kind of player he has. We, he is. We know what kind of player he can be, but we also know that he's uh, 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 very, very erratic. Uh, I've nicknamed him Okotoks in the past, and it's a, you know the very large erratic uh, boulder that's uh, located outside of Okotoks, Alberta. And, he, you know, he's, when he's on his game, you know, he's a force like few others, but he's on his game rarely. And it's become increasingly rarely. He's played 50 games since he signed that contract, David, uh, down the stretch last uh, after he signed it, uh, where he got suspended, uh, missed a bunch of time. Uh, the play-in series and last August when he was close to invisible, uh, and then this past season where he had two injuries, you know, but and it kind of messed up his season. And then the playoffs where he had, you know, a pretty good game three. But how many impact games would you say he's had out of those 50 games since he signed that contract? Would it be as many as five? Would it be? That's a good question. You know, just not like he gets called the poor man's Tom Wilson. But every time I see Washington play, I always notice Tom Wilson and, you know, running around getting in people's faces, doing the stuff that Zach does do on his good good days. But Zach, uh, you know, he, he has this tendency really to, uh, uh, you know, after, and I was twice have signed him to, a, you know, a long-term contract. And both times, he, you know, he responded by playing a lot less well after he signed than before. And I mean, he putting him in a new situation, that'd be probably, I mean, from the point of view of the other team, they might correctly think that he's going to come here and, you know, have a bee in his bonnet and play the way he can. And I, I don't think that's impossible. It may be time for that change in scenery. 
of all the Bruce McCurdy nicknames, <laughs> Zach Okotoks Cassian is the most McCurdy esque. I don't, I don't think I've referred. I've referred Science, to Zach, Zach Cassian at his peak as the Baba Yaga of the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> but I like the. I'm. I. I don't know if that's going to stick, Bruce. I, I don't. Not. I, I don't want to break it to you that it might not stick. But I like the. <laughs> the Okotoks. It's an indigenous word meaning big rock. I think it's almost literally. <laughs> I mean, big rocks. I mean, and Zach's a big rock that can move. I mean, he's he's a good skater, and he you know he's got that aggressive edge. He's got the thing. Here's the thing, though, David. I mean, here's a here's a comparable to Cassian, and and just from the most recent season, Brett Ritchie, Calgary Flames. He's 28 years old, so he's a couple of years, uh, two and a half years younger than Cassian. 32 games played, four goals, four assists, eight points, minus five, 24 pims, 97 hits, uh, 11 minutes a night. And you compare him to Zach Cassian, 27 games played, two goals, three assists, five points, minus four, uh, 15 penalty minutes, 73 hits. It's like it's almost the same player. You know, Richie played a few more games. And Richie just signed a one-year extension with Calgary for $900,000. And, I mean, those kind of players are out there. And, honestly, I mean, I noticed Richie more in the Edmonton-Calgary games than I noticed Cassian. You move him in a heartbeat if you Mm -hmm. can move him with – if you can move him – it's like Chicago (laughs) moving Duncan Keith. If you can move that contract, Bruce, you move that contract – and mm-hmm. um, you do it quick, so do it. That's my vote. And and I know that they need. Like I agree. Is Brett Ritchie not an RFA like or a UFA? Like just bring in a guy like that, like a big Bobby Clobber from the AHL, and you'll get as much as you got from Zach Cassie in these last few years. So, alrighty. Um, have we covered all the rumors and turf here, Bruce? Are we? Yep, I just I got a know. lost connection. I lost the very last part of your comment. I don't know if that'll translate you're, to the recording or not. But you're back up. You're back up. Okay. Did yeah, it just you, pop you back stopped. up on its own? Yep. Yeah. Okay. After good. about ten seconds. So. Good stuff. People here are really down in the post. dumps today. I'm just reading some of the Twitter stuff. Yeah. Pe- people are hurting in oil country today on this Adam Larson news. It's, it's not a <laughs> happy moment. <laughs> at all uh is did dylan DeMello a right shot d did he play the he right is. side? he is <sighs> and uh he, he's a pretty good player better than uh uh better than uh generally rated and uh seattle might well take him they have basically they have a choice between uh him and your guy uh mason appleton from Winnipeg, so they got two good choices there. But of course, they can only take one, and the Jets will keep one. They can but, take Appleton. Eh? He's not on there. He, yeah, I thought he, oh. he wasn't protected, and neither was, um, and neither was um, uh, Demello. And so, I mean, just just to finish the Cassian thought, I mean, it would explain if there's somebody out there that's willing to give a draft pick for Cassian, it might explain why the orders did choose to protect him. Yes, in protecting him, they're not only saving him from potentially Seattle selecting him and trading him for value, but they're they're actually protecting the value itself. 
the Oilers are saying we think he's good enough to protect him, and you know, when you when you trade for him, you're gonna you're gonna take his salary and you're gonna give us something back. And if yeah. they didn't protect him, and Seattle didn't pick him, it's it lowers the platform or what they're trading from. So, I guess I guess like with seeing all this despair on the Oilagosphere on Twitter, and I just think it might be a time for all of us just to. You just brought up like brought up with this Cassian thing. Like there might be something we don't know. Like people mm-hmm. despaired oh, when they protected always. Cassian as opposed to Benson. Like there was all this angst and despair. So so you just brought up something that reason you know something reasonable that might be in the cards. There's all of these balls moving right now that you and I and every Oilers fan we have no idea. We're just we're kind of reading the tea leaves. Even the tea leaves are hard to read though because there could be misdirection on the Larson thing. Cassian could be moved. So who knows how it's all going to turn out. You know, we can certainly judge the the Devon Shore signing and the Duncan Keith trade. Those are two things that have happened. So you can we can all weigh in to the extent that we want to weigh in on those. We all saw Devon Shore play, so I think people are well placed to comment on that. I'm going to suggest that people aren't as well placed to comment on Keith uh, mm-hmm. definitively because we didn't see Duncan Keith play last year. So um, it's just let's just maybe we let's <laughs> take a step back from the ledge. Take a step back from the ledge and let's see how this plays out. And fair enough to 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 rate Ken Hall and Summer in two or three weeks, and to rate right. each deal, each real deal as they happen. Yeah. But all the hypotheticals that we all get worked up about, including myself, uh, you know, back from the ledge. Let's see what happens. And the, you know, yeah. look up the sky. The, the sun is covered in smoke and doesn't smell mm-hmm. very good. Mm-hmm. But maybe things will clear off in a couple of days. Yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah, it's way premature to, to rate Holland's whole summer. I mean, we can do as we do and piecemeal rate this move, that move, the other move. Uh, and I've already in this podcast criticized the fact that they don't have many draft picks going into to, uh, this year's draft, just two in the first five rounds. But um, if in the next coming days they were to trade out Zach Cassian and recoup a, you know, a second or third round pick, whatever it is, uh, that goes some way to fixing that problem and you know and and addressing that the team is going to change up the mix in its bottom six all in one go and, and you know so it ch- will change the picture and when we're looking at the pieces we're not seeing how those pieces fit together right I mean Holland is solving the Rubik's cube and doesn't look like uh, much until uh, until until <laughs> it's complete right so we'll uh, uh, we'll see where it goes, but uh, this next two weeks is massive. Here, here's a little news for you, Bruce. Hearing the New York, this is from Frank Saravalli, and he says, mm-hmm. "Hearing the New York Rangers have made significant progress with the newly acquired forward Barkley Goodrow, not finalized because I don't think that's legal. Expectation mm-hmm. is Goodrow will be signing a blue, sh- uh, will be a blue shirt once the signing moratorium is lifted with a six-year deal." In with a guess, get get ready, three point six million dollars average annual value. Three point looks like the uh, the low prices from what we saw last year and the lack of term is kind of wearing away here a little bit. Six years for Barkley Goodrow. Hmm. That seems like that seems like a that seems like a lot. I mean, he's he's a good player, and uh, the Rangers only gave up a seventh round pick for him. At the same time, they only uh, acquired his negotiation rights. I mean, he's a UFA and can go to market, so that is his uh, 
his bargaining, uh, uh, you know, his bargaining platform. But that's the same kind of uh, platform that Pittsburgh, sorry, uh, contract that Pittsburgh gave to uh, uh, Tanev, the brother, Brandon Tanev. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Tanev, it just popped in my head too. He got like a five or six year deal at uh, way north of three million and seemed like a, a lot of term and and a lot of dollars, but I tell you what, to this point, Tanev's covered that bet, you know, just, uh, but uh, Tampa, boy, you know, what kind of team could trade a first round pick to get a guy like Barkley Goodrow, and then 18 months later, trade away the same guy for a seventh round pick and win the trades? A team that won Tampa two Stanley Cups. Tampa Lightning, yeah, yeah, they sure can. team that won two Stanley Cups with Barkley Goodrow playing, a, playing an important role on the team. That's who can do it. Barkley Goodrow. Let me just check something here, Bruce. I just want to check his even strength scoring the mm-hmm. last, his last year. Right. Um, 1.63 points per 60 in his best scoring year. Mm-hmm. Ranks 238 out of 451 regular. Oh, this is from 2019 to 21. This is a two-year average. Right. And this past year, give me just a second where he ranks. That's pretty good. Um, marginally better, 1.74 mm-hmm. points per 60. Um, right in there with Brock Nelson, Mikhail Grigorenko, who's back to Russia, Joe Thornton, who's going to retire, and Alex Kerfoot, who is headed to Seattle probably. Seems like a massive overpay by the Rangers. I'm glad it's them making that. <laughs> Not Ken Holland got it right, Bruce. He said it outright. If you're mm-hmm. if you're entering into this market, you're going to overpay on yeah. term or on on salary. In this right. case, probably both. So, um, wow. Yeah. Well, he was a decent player, always noticeable player with the Sharks for a number of years, and he was still on a you know a two year contract at nine hundred twenty five thousand when Tampa acquired him at the deadline in twenty twenty, and. He, you know, all he's done in those, I mean, he's played two playoff years and played 43 games in the playoffs and scored 12 points. But guess what? He's done this twice. So they, you know, they're paying for they, that. They had they that, killer, that killer. They're going to lose the whole line, I think, because I think, uh, I think um, Seattle will take Yanni Gord. And I think they will lose the uh, both wingers. So, but if Barkley Goodrow gets, uh, Gets that kind of a deal. Well, what does that uh, what does that mean for uh, his line mate? Coleman, Blake Coleman. Yeah, He's going to get Coleman. a Nugent Hopkins contract based on that. Yeah. I mean, so it, it does put the Nugent Hopkins contract into some perspective as, you know, here's the market and maybe the Oilers will see. That'll be interesting to rate Nugent's contract against what we see in the in the coming uh, coming days here. But that's if that's if that happens, that's a. Well, congratulations, Barkley Goodroll. Yeah. That's what I'll say about it. Congratulations, Barkley. You you worked your whole life for a contract like that, and you got it. So way to go, uh, well, young man. Way guy go. gets guy wins cups in one city, go, gets traded to New York Rangers, and gets paid for what he did in the past. I mean, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen that before. How many Edmonton Oilers wound up playing for New York Rangers and getting right. paid in their thirties for what they did in Edmonton in their twenties? <laughs> they did win a cup there, though. They, well, most so of they them also did. had a guy in their twenties, Adam Graves. Let's not get into that. Okay, Bruce, let's let's leave it there. Thanks for talking today.
All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>